Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Boy, do I need this. Today's just been nuts. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, but it never seems to get to you. Oh? Yeah, you always seem so together. Well, it's like the way you tie your bow tie. Really? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> it's so perfect. I mean, how do you get it like that? Well, you know, the same way anyone else does, I suppose. Yeah, I could never do it. Whenever I do it, it's always a little lopsided, you know? Well, it's not like I have any special powers or anything. <laughs> oh, well, maybe I'm just in awe of how well-groomed you are. Yeah, well, sure, but I mean, it hardly means like I'm a member of some super intelligent uh, race with extremely advanced personal hygiene, does it? <laughs> no, I'm just a perfectly normal mortal human being like anyone else here in the office, right? No one said you were an alien. What alien? Oh, so you know, huh? All right. Hello, Control. Control, this is Delphar 7. My mission is in jeopardy. Destroy the planet. Repeat, destroy the planet. When I was when I was dedicated to the cause of the I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were all the way back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked Welcome to Conspiracy Normal, guys. We are here on the 18th of October, 2015. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> we have in the studio a special uh, guest with us. 
Mr. Jeff Heim, hey, the hey. host of the Leisure Hour, the other podcast that uh, Mr. Rob uh, produces. That's right. Jeff, welcome to Conspiranormal. Welcome, thanks for sitting in with us tonight. Thanks, babe. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> really enjoyed the really enjoyed the show, and we we kind of was talking to you about uh, coming and uh, sitting in with us. And we understand that you don't really have a knowledge of the paranormal or the conspiracy stuff, but uh, we wanted to invite you to come in anyway. Well, th- I don't really have knowledge of anything, so <laughs> that's, I think you misunderstood what I was saying. I don't really have a uh, knowledge of normal. So, gotcha. um, okay. let alone the paranormal. So. Well, I mean, yeah, we're, we're anything but normal on this, on, on this show. <laughs> uh, got some good, uh, downloads on the Scott Walter show. That was a, an amazing show, an amazing guest. And tonight we have Dr. David Jacobs coming on and we're going to talk about his new book, Walking Among Us. But first, uh, Mr. Rob, how you doing? How you been doing? Doing good. Um, you know, the usual, uh, it's been a, kind of crazy hectic week this is a uh, podcast number three for me in the past oh four days that's <laughs> right yeah because you did our show on wednesday you did leisure hour on friday mm-hmm. and now today we're we're doing this show again so yeah. he's burning up the pot <laughs> right. burning the pot up. he's he's the pot he's he, this is the pod father of nashville right exactly. here yeah. let me tell you it's because he says yes i mean he's great at it but he says yes to everything that's his problem i guess so guys Ugh. i guess i could help you out <laughs> welcome to the madness you may have noticed that luke isn't here he's he's at home sleeping so <laughs> i wanted to talk about something before we get dr david jacobs on uh, it, and this is a case that, you know, we haven't gotten into like too much like true crime on this show. I think barely at all, really. And I kind of like to remedy that, but this is kind of one that kind of combines with kind of like true crime and, and the paranormal. And that is the Elisa lamb case. Uh, there was a couple of years ago, uh, at the beginning of 2013, this girl disappeared at a hotel called the Cecil hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And this hotel is in the middle of what is considered like the skid row area, the very famous, like kind of poor, uh, area of, of Los Angeles where the homeless live. Uh, it's a very notorious hotel. It's like, uh, was it, uh, the night soccer, Richard Ramirez st- stayed there. Oh. And there was another like serial killer that stayed at the Cecil hotel in the nineties. Like Ramirez stayed there, like right in the middle of like his killing spree in the eighties. Uh, Elisa Lam was a young Canadian girl of Chinese descent that was doing like a tour of California. She went to San Diego, San Francisco, a couple other different places. And her last stop was in Los Angeles at a place called at the Cecil hotel. And she, she disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to her. And there was this, people may have seen some footage of that was taken from a, uh, a security camera inside an elevator. Uh, and apparently this thing like went mega viral. I remember kind of hearing about it at the time, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. I thought maybe it was just one of those, um, native advertising things or one of those fake internet, internet, internet stories. Uh, but I did hear a show about it not too long ago on darkness radio. And they were talking about, talking about this case and it's extremely bizarre. Like a lot, a lot of interesting coincidences with it too. So I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page here. This is something anybody of course can access, but uh, talk about the disappearance. 
Hotel staff who saw her that day said she was alone. Outside the hotel, Katie Orphan, manager of a nearby bookstore, was the only person who recalled seeing Lamb that day. She was outgoing, very lively, very friendly, while getting gifts to take home for her family, Orphan told CNN. She was talking about what book she was getting and whether or not what she was getting would be too heavy for her to carry around as she traveled. Police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They searched Lamb's room and had dogs go through the building, including the rooftop, looking unsuccessfully for her scent. But we didn't search every room, Sergeant Rudy Lopez said later. We could only do that if we had probable cause to believe a crime had been committed. Of course, at that point, there's no body. On February 6th, a week after Lamb had thus been seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed. Flyers with her image was posted in the neighborhood and online and brought the case to the public's attention through the media. Now, this is about the elevator video. Another week went by without Lamb being found on February 14th. This is 2013. The LAPD released a video of the last known sighting of her taken by a video surveillance camera on February 1st in one of the Cecil's elevators. It drew worldwide interest in the case due to Lamb's strange behavior and has been extensively analyzed and discussed. In the two-and-a-half-minute clip, the camera at one of the elevator cab's rear corners looks down from the ceiling, offering a view not just of its interior, but the hallway outside. It is somewhat grainy, and the timestamp at the bottom is obscured. At some point, Lamb's mouth is pixelized. At the start, Lamb enters, clad in a red zippered hooded sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt with black shorts and sandals. She enters from the left, goes to the control panel, appears to select several floors, and then steps back to the corner. After a few seconds during which the door fails to close, she stops. Up, she steps up to it, leans forward so her head is through the door, looks in both directions, and then quickly steps back in, backing up to the wall and then into the corner near the control panel. The door remains open. She walks to it again and stands in the doorway, leaning on the side. Suddenly she steps out into the hall, then to her side, back in, looking to the side, then back out. She then steps sideways again, and for a few seconds, she is mostly invisible behind the wall. She is her back to just outside. The door remains open. Her right arm can be seen going up to her head, and then she turns to re-enter the cab. Putting both hands on the side of the door as she does, she goes to the control panel, presses many more buttons, some more than once, and then returns to the wall she had come into the elevator from. Putting both hands over her ears again briefly as she walks back to the section of wall she had been standing against before. The door remains open. She turns to her right and begins rubbing her forearms together, then waves her hands out to her sides with palms flat and fingers outstretched while bowing forward slightly and rocking gently. This can all be seen through the door, which remains open. After she backs up to the wall again and walks away to the left, it finally closes. Okay. So it's a very strange video. She, she keeps walking in and out. She's pressing all these buttons. At one point towards the end of the video, you, you can kind of see her do these kind of like weird spastic movements. Mm. And a lot of people have suggested, and of course, you know, a lot of this could be just hype and saying that she was possessed or something like that. Some people like to say that. Uh, some theories evolved to explain her actions. One noting, and of course, Wikipedia would crash out on me here. But these... Uh, very, very strange stuff. One noting the Cecil's dark past posited that she had somehow become possessed during her stay, or at least on the elevator, she might have been playing the elevator game. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later because it's some weird stuff. A supposed way to travel to another dimension and back. Another suggestion was that Lamb was trying to get the elevator car to move in order to escape from someone pursuing her. 
Others, including a body language specialist who reviewed the video, suggested that she might be under the influence of ecstasy or some other party drug. When her bipolar disorder became known, the theory that she was having a psychotic episode also emerged. Okay, discovery of the body. While the search for Lamb was raising the case's media profile, guests at the hotel began complaining to management about low water pressure in their rooms. Some also claimed their water was oddly colored and had a slightly unusual smell. Employees began investigating. On the morning of February 19th, an employee went to the roof for 4,000-gallon water tanks provided water pumped from the city's supply for the guest rooms and the kitchen and coffee shop downstairs. In one of them, he found Lamb's body floating face up a foot below the water surface. Police responded, and by noon that day, the hotel had drained the tank so firefighters could cut it open and remove the body since the opening of the tank was too small to accommodate the necessary equipment. In the wake of the discovery, all of the Cecil's short-term guests left, many expressing revulsion at the thought that they had been unknowingly been drinking water contaminated by a decomposing body for the preceding two weeks. The hotel paid for some to relocate mm. to another hotel and required those that remained to sign a waiver stating that they had been made aware of the health risks. Reviews making light of the situation were posted on the hotel's Yelp, Yelp page. When the county's health department found that the water had not been contaminated, it issued a do not drink order and required that the entire system be drained and refilled before retesting for possible fecal contamination and rescinding the order. One long-term guest stated that there had been a flooding on an upper level room following Lamb's disappearance. This is why you check your Yelp reviews. <laughs> I keep saying this. Serial well, <laughs> killers stayed there previously. Yes. yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh yeah. It's a very it's a it's it's an unsettling story. That is, and, and it's even it's 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 made even more hyped up by that elevator video. Well, you, two things. The the if somebody murdered her, it would have to be somebody that worked there that had right. knowledge because it, there's no camera in the hallway. Well, apparently that that was what, that was the camera that they found was the camera that was in the elevator. Uh, one of the things that I've now some of this stuff is weird because a lot of it is like, is it rumor or is it truth? The stuff that you hear about this case, right? Okay, there's two speculations. Well. On how how the hell did she get up to the roof? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, they say that the entrance to the roof itself was alarmed but not locked. And I've heard that it was locked and it was alarmed, and I've heard that it was alarmed but not locked. So I will go with alarmed but not locked. So how would you not have been? How would somebody would have not been able to hear uh, her get up there? Are here are are the alarm go off unless it was someone that had access to that alarm? Exactly, I think it's somebody that worked there. Because- so the so the other so the other thing that's a con- that's a contradiction is that's contradictory is how did she get into the water into the water tank? Mm-hmm. Also, she her clothes were off in the water tank. She was naked with her clothes by her in the water tank, but there's there's this idea that. Okay, she she what did she lift the lid to get in there because those lids are incredibly heavy. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a girl that was probably maybe at the most 130 pounds. Yeah, she's tiny. But she's a tiny girl. Mm-hmm. So how would she have been able to lift that? Well, there's again contradictory information. Someone said that some of the person that found the body has said that the 
lid was actually up when he got there. And some have said that's not true. The lid was actually down. So is it possible that somebody did kill her and threw her in the water tank and then just left the lid up? That's entirely possible. Right. Uh, another uh, way that she could have possibly gotten up there was the, uh, the fire escape. Mm-hmm. She could have come up the fire escape. And some guy from China, because this thing broke huge in China. I don't know. I guess because of her Chinese descent, her her ancestry, uh, like her parents were from Hong Kong, so it was a huge story in China. I think way before it was even really a huge story in the United States. Um, a guy from China traveled to Los Angeles, went to the Cecil Hotel, actually filmed himself going up the fire escape and proved that it was indeed accessible to go up to the roof. So she could have gotten into the fire escape. And got into the roof, and either she crawled into there, or she was taken up there and thrown in there. I, possibly. I did you cover the um, cause of death? Yeah, the cause of death. Let's yeah, let's I, I let's read, I read that. It, but I can't remember if it. Said yeah, let's read anything. that. What it says about what it says about the autopsy. Um. Let's see. After being removed from the tank, Lamb's body was taken to the county coroner's office to be autopsy. Two pathologists, Jason Tovar and Yulai Wang, spent four hours that afternoon dissecting it and examining her internal organs. On February 21st, the coroner's office reported that they had found her death to be an accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. Their full report was released four months later in June after being postponed several times. They reported that her reported that her body had been found naked in the tank, about half to three quarters full, with the clothes she appeared to have been wearing in the elevator video floating in the water alongside her, coated with a sand-like particulate. Along with them were her watch and room key. Lance's body was moderately decomposed, bloated, and mostly greenish, with some marbling ev- evident on the abdomen and skin separation evident. Tovar and Wang found no evidence of physical trauma or sexual assault, although they had a rape and fingernail kit done. They found no evidence to suggest that Lamb had committed suicide. Toxicology tests were done on her blood where a sufficient sufficient quantity was available. Some metabolites and traces of her prescription medication were found, consistent with blister packs and loose pills of those drugs found among her belongings, along with some non-prescription drugs such as Sinutab and ibuprofen. No alcohol or recreational drugs were found in her system. I, it seems like that, that seems like a really peculiar way to kill yourself because drowning yourself without putting yeah. something around your, that's really tough to do. Yeah. There's no, she didn't pour. Oddly enough, there was a guy a long time ago when I lived in a, an apartment complex, a guy killed himself in the pool and he actually tied weights to himself to drown himself. And so, uh, that seems uh, there's some foul play there. There's no yeah. way. And why didn't they do any um, finger fingerprint uh, dusting? Not yeah, not sure. Maybe because it was in the water, possibly. But it around the around yeah. the uh, hatch, getting into. Well, here's here's one thing about this hotel, and this could be where they have an expectation that this kind of thing would happen. This hotel is notorious for people committing suicide. Down on the look, people Ooh. going to this hotel and jumping out the window. They are notorious, not just for serial killers, but suicides. So it could have just been like, well, they just jumped to the conclusion and said, well, she was in the Cecil Hotel. She was depressed. 
So maybe she just came here to commit suicide. And a lot of times with coroners, they may jump to that. They may just jump to that conclusion because of the circumstances. It just seems strange though. There's no, it is strange. No, you know, no, no drug abuse, no alcohol, no signs of struggle. No. Well, here's something like like Jeff said, like what what a way to kill yourself. Right. Yeah. What? Why not just jump? Right. Right. You know, if you're in in, in this if this multi-story building you're on the roof, there's there's 15 floors. Incidentally, one of the well, this this building is one of those buildings that that has a 13th floor but doesn't. They call it the 14th floor. Right. <laughs> okay. So here's a little bit about the autopsy report. The autopsy report and its conclusions have also been questioned. For instance, it does not say what the results of the rape and fingernail kits were, or even if they were processed. It also records subcutaneous pooling of blood in Lamb's anal area, which some observers suggested was a sign of sexual abuse. However, one pathologist has noted it could also have resulted from bloating in the course of the body's decomposition, and her rectum was also prolapsed. Even Tovard Wang, the guys who did the autopsy, appeared to be ambivalent about their conclusion that Lamb's death was accidental. One page of the report has a form with boxes to check as to whether the death was accidental natural homicide, suicide, or undetermined, in large type and a sufficient distance from each other. The accident box is dated June 15th. However, three days later, the undetermined box was checked instead. This was at some point in the three days before the report's release noted as an error and crossed out and initialed. So even the people that did this autopsy had some doubt as to what exactly happened there. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but when they do a... uh, Everything I say is hearsay and conjecture, by the way, but... The uh, when they do a rape kit, if they wait too long, it's basically inconclusive. Yeah, and her yeah. floating in water is for, two, for like two weeks. Yeah, it, yeah, there's I don't see how they would find anything. Well, the, that's that's yeah. It kind of seems like they just did it to follow procedure and mm-hmm. knew that it wasn't going to produce any results. Yeah, the two things that are interesting to me about the video are. It seems to me she keeps looking out there and looking both ways. It's almost like somebody knows where the camera is. And you can kind of see shadows, I thought, when she's looking outside. Yeah, there's some people that have looked at there's people that have looked at this video like just obsessively and say that they've that they've seen shadows mm. or that she's talking to someone. Uh, uh here's something really weird. Uh one of the things we've talked about on the show, Jeff, is we've talked about synchronicity and coincidences, weird stuff that happens. Uh, a lot of this this case mm. is very similar to a plot of a movie called Dark Water. Okay. Uh, have you ever seen, you guys ever seen this movie? There's actually two movies. One is a Japanese version and another one was an American version that came out like 2005. Uh, has Jennifer Connelly in it. And basically her character moves in with her daughter to this old building in on New York's Roosevelt Island. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know, spoiler here for nobody that's seen that's seen the movie, but there is a, and I, I'm going to have to tell you because you know, obviously it's not going to make sense in the movie. There is a ghost of a little girl that dies by going up to the roof and falling into the water tanks. Oh. Now here's some more here's some more weirdness. The hotel's name is people have pointed this out on the internet. People the hotel's name is Cecil. Not the girl that dies in the movie, but the daughter of Jennifer that that plays Jennifer Connolly's daughter is 
her her name is Cecilia. The Jennifer Connelly's character is named Dahlia, which one of the people that stayed at the Hotel Cecil was Elizabeth Short. She was last seen at the Hotel Cecil, but that was the Black Dahlia murder mm-hmm. where the lady was cut in half, basically found in the park in Los Angeles. Right. The famous Black Dahlia case. Yeah. yeah. So they've compared, so they've compared, people have looked at this weird coincidence that they've compared the Elisa Lamb case to this and say that it's like life imitating art in a way. Uh, here's something even stranger. This is weird. It's worse. This, this is weird. This is this is absolutely strange coincidence. A couple of months later, there was a tuberculosis, or not even maybe not even a month, maybe even a month later, there was a tuberculosis outbreak in that area of Skid Row in Los Angeles, and the health officials came in probably CDC, probably city health officials. And they were doing, they were running tests to make sure nobody had the tuberculosis bacteria. But one of the tests that they were using that screens you Mm. was called the lamb Elisa test. Uh. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And this test was all the way back from the sixties. Wow. Yeah. So Elisa lamb, lamb Elisa. Bizarre. Wow, that is bizarre. I got to wonder what that hotel's like description is on hotels.com. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, apparently it's the like, like right now, American like, what Horror are their Story. Rates? The American Horror Story is in its fourth season, and the hotel in that apparently is based on the Cecil Hotel. Yeah. I'm going to look this up. When I and, 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 and there's, there's a lot of others. There's people that have all these weird theories online. Hmm. Uh, one theory is, is that. Uh, apparently if you do a Google search, you get some kind of company that has a link to the military industrial complex that has its house in the hotel. Hmm. And apparently this company works on, uh, uh, invisibility cloak technology. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) supposedly people say that she's actually interacting with someone that has his visibility cloak and she got too close to it because the Illuminati wanted to kill her. That's one of, that's one of the theories that, that people have posited. Another, another theory that I thought was just absurd was that the ghost of Aleister Crowley somehow made this happen from the beyond. Right. Well, yeah, he's got to, that uh, you know, but primarily because Crowley had this contact with this creature in the great pyramid called lamb, that was oddly enough close to a gray alien, and uh, th- and that's the connection there somehow, you know. Hmm. Uh, that's a leap. But here's yeah. here's Quite something, a reach. <laughs> here's something that's interesting, guys. Uh, and I'll mention this, and we'll take a break and go to Doctor Jacobs. But there is a researcher named David Pilates, and he's written a like series of five books now about mysterious disappearances in national parks, um, people that just disappear, uh, and then their fam- they, they, they do a big search for these people, and they go they, they, and then they find them weeks later in these areas where they've already searched. And they're usually like their clothes are off or their clothes are put on, put back on in some weird way. 
Well, he, his latest book is about urban disappearances or, you know, small towns or major cities where people have disappeared just out of the blue, gone. And then they do a search and then the same area, they will find them later on in the area they've already searched. And they're usually found in water. Usually their clothes are taken off and he's compared the Elisa lamb case to some of the stuff that he's looked into. So that's and then a, you have that elevator video. So that's a common occurrence I mean, enough that he's got data for a book and he's got data for five books. Five books. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's someone I'd love to get on the show at some point. I, He'd be somebody that, that would that, to really to, to, to talk about this, but, but he looks at some of these other cases uh, that, People have been left in water. Usually sometimes they're naked. Sometimes their clothes are still on, uh, but they're put on in different ways. Uh, and he's compared it to the Elisa Lamb case. Wow. So there's all kinds of possibilities. But really, though, truly, when you look at it, though, the, the justice needs to be done for this for this girl and for her family. Because I, you know, in this seedy ass hotel where people, bad people hang out, mm. you know, and, and the other thing is people ask, why the hell did, would she stay there? What was the appeal to stay there at that hotel? There were cheaper, better hotels in the area, but she wanted to stay at this particular one. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious, like you said, that, you know, this girl was murdered. Yeah. I oftentimes I wonder if people do things like that just to see if they can make it through. If yeah. they're like, I want to yeah. test myself to go to this freaky hotel and make it. But I, I think that she is just from the evidence that I know what very little, it sounds like she was murdered. Yeah. It sounds like I also, I find it really, really hard to believe that the dogs didn't find anything because I mean, yeah, there's no fool in a dog. Well, she was already staying there. Her smell was probably, yeah, but spread around and confusing. Yeah. And the only reason they found it was they found her body was because everybody was complaining about the water tasting bad. Oh, that's the worst. Part and that was another, yeah. that was another thing in that movie in the movie Dark Water. That was another element was every time they turn on the faucet or whatever, you know, the water would be black. That's why the movie is called that. You know, or there would be something wrong with the water, and then eventually, you know, she gets this idea to go up and finds a little girl in the, in the water tank. Yeah. Well, you know, the same kind of thing happened there. You know, that people wanted to find out what the hell is going on with the water. You need to do something about it. So finally, they send somebody out there, and that's where they find Elisa Lamb laying in the water tank for two weeks. That's the part of the story. I I heard this news story. I guess it's how long ago was it? It's uh, February was well, like she disappeared January 31st, 2013. So it was like February. It was like Valentine's Day of 2013 that they found her. I remember hearing that story like they they were complaining about the water and they found her in the water tank. I remember that part of the story, but I didn't know that they had video and yeah. all the other stuff. That is peculiar. I I still think it had to be somebody that worked there and knew I don't get into the video. I know I can stay out here and be good. The other thing too, is, not seen. the other thing too is as, uh, yeah, they, 
if they would have to work there because they would know where the cameras were. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is this: these movements and stuff that she makes on this video. I mean, she's putting her hands out, and she just looks like. I mean, it really does look like someone that is possessed. It looks like somebody that's that's you know going through something like that. So, but it could have she could have been dosed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elevator game, real quick. Oh, yeah. so this is interesting. Now, this is one of the theories that she was playing the elevator game. Now, this sounds really fun. <laughs> I think we should try this. Not there. It doesn't. <laughs> okay. Here's the elevator game. We'll do it at the Hilton. Players, one principal, requirements, one building at least 10 stories high with an elevator. All three of these conditions must, must be met in order for the game to proceed. Instructions, venturing out. One, enter your chosen building and get into the elevator on the first floor alone. Do not proceed if anyone else is in the elevator with you. Two, press the button for the fourth floor. Three, when the elevator reaches the fourth floor, you do not get out. Instead, remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. Four, when you reach the second floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the sixth floor. Five, when you reach the sixth floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. Six, when you reach the second floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the tenth floor. When you reach the 10th floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the 5th floor. 8. When you reach the 5th floor, a young woman may enter the elevator. Do not look at her. Do not speak to her. She is not what she seems. 9. Press the button for the 1st floor. If the elevator begins ascending to the 10th floor instead of descending to the 1st, you may proceed. If the elevator descends to the 1st floor, exit as soon as the doors open. Do not look back. Do not speak. 10. If you reach the 10th floor, you may either choose to get off the elevator or stay on it. If you choose to get off and if the woman entered the elevator on the 5th floor, she will ask you, where are you going? Do not answer her. Do not look at her. 11. You will know whether you have arrived at the other world by one indication and one indication only. The only person present in it is you. (laughs) Sounds like a blast. (laughs) Sounds like somebody has a lot of time on their hands. (laughs) I mean, how it goes, though, Adam. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's all right. I think somebody's played that when I was down in the lobby, like trying to get to the hot tub to rest, to like soak my sciatica or something. What's going on? I, I can see myself doing that. And they're, and, and they're just like, there's like, man, it wasn't a girl, man. This looks like some dude, man. He got in my elevator with me, bro. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's knock off here. We're going to uh, take a little break and we'll be right back. Dr. David Jacobs talking about walking among us. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, guys. We're back after our little nice little weird discussion on the Elisa Lamb case. And we have on the line one of our favorite guests from last year, Dr. David Jacobs. Uh, last November, we spoke to him about kind of his life, uh, some of his writings that he had made, uh, the books Secret Life and The Threat, uh, which, which I have, have read and highly recommend. And he has a new book out, as we mentioned before, called Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity. And this is a very interesting book. Uh, has some incredible implications, and it's also very, very unsettling at the same time to read. Uh, so, Dr. Jacobs, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Uh, thank you for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We 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 enjoyed talking to you the last time and hopefully we're gonna get into some interesting material tonight. Uh okay. I kinda wanna go back a little bit and just a little bit of a recap and like how you kind of became aware of that there was an alien 
breeding program going on this this program to produce hybrids and you know what kind of was the evidence that also that there was a well for lack of a better term i guess an integration taking place into our society right well um uh the idea of producing hybrids actually goes back to the uh to the 1980s uh with bud hopkins who who first uh encountered this. Uh, he called me up. Uh, Bud Hopkins is a pioneer abduction researcher and uh, uh, my closest friend, and he uh, he passed away in 2011. But um, back in the 80s, he told me that um, he had kind of astounding uh, a case where this woman uh, was taken on board, and uh, she uh, was... Um, uh, and she had the regular procedures that they do to her on tables and so forth. Yes. And uh, she basically then was taken into another room. And um, and I'm just listening to this, listening to this. And there's this person standing there, this weird-looking person um, holding a baby. I said, a baby? <laughs> what do you mean a baby? Because I... The words flying saucers, UFOs, abductions had never been used with the word baby in the same sentence before. You know what I mean? This right. is like a first. And I said, a baby. He said, yeah, they wanted her to hold the baby. And I said, hold the baby? Why would, why would they want her to do that? You know, and they, he said he didn't know. Then they wanted her to feed the baby. And I thought to myself, feed the baby? baby that's crazy she did she tell them that she was not pregnant that she wasn't lactating that she didn't just have had a child or anything hmm. he said yes yes but they forced her to put the baby up to her breast anyway i thought at that time that um we would never be able to understand the alien mind if it existed uh because they valued form over function in the way they thought the form was to uh, was very important, and they forced her to put the baby up to her breast. But there was no function; she had no milk. She couldn't do what what was required. It's like they didn't I understand thought, the cause and effect there. Who knows what the, I, yeah. I I couldn't imagine what was happening. Of course, that's uh, <clears throat> I, I I understood later on that the, the woman was already lactating. Uh, I I've had this a thousand times already, you know, and and it's, it's standard fare. But she did not know that she was lactating, and uh, the uh, most. And we we now know basically uh, what to ask on after table procedures to whether they're going to be feeding a baby or not, and therefore lactating or not. But um, uh, that was the first time that the word baby had ever been used, and it was a weird-looking baby. And then uh, um, uh, when. Bud continued his research. He found uh, a young toddlers uh, who looked weird and this and that. And he, he said that they these were hybrids, that they looked like a cross between human and gray alien. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's where it came from. It came from, from Bud. And uh, Bud um, figured, um, as did I, uh, in his book, witnessed that uh, they might be uh, fixing to come here. And uh, I looked at the same, at my own evidence uh, in, in my book, The Threat, which came out um, 
uh, I, uh, I think about nine months or ten months after his book did, saying that um, basically that uh, this was a, a program of hybridization, and uh, ultimately the goal was to live here among us, I think. But what what I actually knew was that they that the aliens were telling abductees that soon there was going to be a change, that a change was coming soon. It was going to be wonderful. Everybody was going to love it. And um, this change was going to happen. And uh, this would be accompanied, for example, with a, a woman or a man, take, an abductee taken into a, a special room and observing uh, on a screen a, 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 a picture of sorts of let's just say a group of, of 10 or 15 people who are standing on what what might be seem what might seem like stairs or something. There's a whole group of them, and then you can see all their faces, and it's like a, a class portrait, you know. Mm-hmm. And they look at this picture, and telepathically they hear, can you tell the difference between you and us? And a person says, and this is an actual case, something to the point of what do you mean tell the difference everybody looks the same there is no difference between you know it's I'm not even they were puzzled as to why that question would even be asked and then they would hear telepathically see isn't that wonderful everything is uh, uh, everybody looks the same and uh, it's uh, soon there'll be a change soon everybody will be happy Uh, soon you know and I, I had a couple of these kinds of bizarre incidents. So I asked the uh, abductees, did they know what the change was? And nobody knew. I asked them um, if they understood what the word soon meant. Because obviously soon is a relative term. Term It means nothing. You know, if, if you live to be a thousand years old, soon doesn't mean much. Right. If you live to be one day old, soon means a lot. Yep. But um, so uh, uh, nobody knew. Uh, however, uh, uh, it was, it obviously was, they were, they were, they were describing to me that soon uh, these beings, these hybrids would look human and that they would come to, to live in this society in some way, uh, I, I assumed. Then in 2003, well, let me backtrack a little bit. So that, that's sort of the, the origin of that. Bud found it, uh, I found it. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it still could be like a thousand years from now, as far as we know, or maybe a hundred years, or maybe twenty years, or whatever. But the fact was, though, that <clears throat> most people didn't say that. I mean, there was enough to say it, but most people just said the standard stuff that you hear with abductions all the time, and uh, it, it's it, it's it's it gets to the point where it's soporific. It's sleep-inducing. Gotcha. And, <laughs> yeah, and I would listen to these reports over and over and over again from different people or from the same people over and over and over again. And the basic thought that went through my head was not to fall asleep, don't fall asleep, stay awake, stay awake, keep listening to them, don't fall asleep. And every once in a while, somebody would say something that would capture my attention something is slightly different and I would think hard and I think really 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 hard about what they were saying and I realized I was dreaming I fall asleep 
And I'd snap <laughs> out of it, and, and I'd say, well, what happens next? You know, I, I was sort of embarrassed. But that soporific quality, that sleep-inducing quality, is extremely important because everybody is saying the same thing in the same way over and over again. There's a it's commonality. A whole, right. It's the yep. com, Without that commonality, we wouldn't have a phenomenon. It'd be a mental thing. Starting in 2003, I started to hear things that I had not heard before, which is unusual because... By 2002, I'd heard it all, I thought. <laughs> but uh, by 2003, uh, uh, I began to hear reports of people who were um, dealing with hybrids almost on a daily basis, who are helping them learn about relationships, who are helping them learn how to eat in a restaurant, who are helping them how to... Uh, do a whole group of, of, of things that had no necessity uh, for uh, on a UFO. There was no, no, nothing was necessary for a UFO. You don't learn how to eat in a restaurant, and you're living on a UFO uh, 99% of the time. You know. These are abductees helping the hybrids. Yeah, that's yeah. what I began. Yeah, one guy who was a, a businessman in his 50s uh, told me that he had this friend, for example, and the friend. Uh, uh, this is we we had already uh, several sessions together, and the friend was um, a guy who he called Eric. Uh, he didn't know Eric. So he he called him Eric. He didn't know if that was actually his name or not, uh, and he didn't know what his last name was if he had one, and he didn't know anything about his family life if he had one, or where he worked, or if he had a job at all, or where he lived. But he told me he was his best friend, and he saw him all the time, which, of course, was senseless. <laughs> made no yeah. sense whatsoever. And um, But it was extremely interesting, and the guy was uh, absolutely sincere, And uh, but it's not evidence. It's something I've never heard before, therefore you, you, you put it off to the side and wait for other people to say the same thing who are not aware of this testimony. And in fact, uh, that's what began to happen. And so uh, uh, more people began to come forward telling me similar stories about people who were they were helping uh, hybrids. And uh, uh, pretty soon it turns out these hybrids were actually living here. And um, then I, I got a bunch and, and, and suddenly I, was, I, I began to think, well, this might be the change. It's possible this could be the change that we're seeing. If it's not the change, it's the beginning portion of the of the change, the major portion of which might come later. Now, how about how many people were telling you this? Well, not that many. Uh, I can't remember how many. I, used, I think I used fourteen people in that book, but right. uh, about four, four or five of them were in different contexts. So maybe I don't know maybe 10 people, something like that. I'm not sure. I have to, I have to go back and count. But enough. And one person started telling me this, who I had been working with uh, since 1987. Another one started talking about this, um, who I had been with since 1993. Uh, and uh, But the point is that, that my guess is that I stumbled upon it, and then other people began to sort of uh, talk about it, 
but it might have happened a lot earlier with other people because the first the first guy Bernard uh, with his friend Eric um, had been friends with him for years, so uh, it's possible that 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 I just sort of hit it, and uh, and and it actually started earlier. Uh, but it didn't start at exactly the time that you know that, that I I began to hear about it. Still, it's impossible to tell. We just don't know. It, uh, time is difficult to deal with, and and the thing is uh, that the abduction phenomenon is global. It is it is around the world. Yes. Uh, so if I found this happening in the southeastern corner of Pennsylvania where I live, um, it, it's happening everywhere. It, it's not possible for our little friends, the aliens, to choose the southeastern corner of Pennsylvania to begin putting down hybrids to live just where I I, uh, have uh, where I am. You know what I mean? That's just not possible uh, because it's a global phenomenon. It's all through the United States. It's all through Latin America, Europe, you you name it. It's all through it. So... um, so it's probably been happening a lot uh, uh, earlier than I thought, and uh, it and is it is happening uh, uh, in a much more widespread area around the world. Now, when I say around the world, obviously I do not know what's happening. For example, in North Korea. Sure. But people write to me from from all over the world talking about their abduction experiences and. And I've worked with people from uh, from Europe, from Asia, from Africa, uh, and, and other other continents. And so, I mean, it, it's it doesn't matter, you know. It, it's 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 huge. Let's put it that way. It's it's enormous. The, the the abduction phenomenon is it's hard to get your mind around the concept of abducting altogether without having to get your mind out of the enormity of the program. That's that's even harder in in a way. Right. What you're dealing with then is an enormous amount of uh, energy and time and male, uh, alien power, if I could use that word, as opposed to uh, manpower, uh, that that is put into this uh, into this program, obviously of hybridization. And to wrap up this long discourse, <laughs> um, uh, th- that uh, that all the evidence points to, in terms of uh, my colleague Bud Hopkins and, uh, and and my own research and and other researchers, although some say no, but uh, for me, uh, and I think for Yvonne Smith in Los Angeles, and and, and certainly for Bud. I had all pointed in one direction, and that was ultimately putting hybrids down here on Earth for whatever purpose. Yeah, I wanted. I did want to ask you what other researchers are out there that have kind of come to the same, similar conclusions. Right. Well, uh, you know, the problem with abduction research is that there's no standardization of it. Everybody is free to do whatever they want, ask whatever questions they want, think whatever they want, uh, apply whatever agenda they think they have onto their uh, the, the answers they get from false questions that they ask. So people uh, have, a lot of people have spiritual agendas. 
they have agendas which which think that the aliens are friendly, happy, wonderful people here to <laughs> and here's here's their favorite word to heal the earth or to heal us, right? Uh, uh, or whatever it is, or they're benevolent, or or, or we're going to be transformed into a different type of. Uh, uh, to, a, to a member of a planetary confederation and everything will be different or or whatever whatever they've got in their brains comes out oftentimes with people uh, who they're asking uh, uh, questions of. And uh, um, with me, I went in without anything, not knowing what this was all about. And, I mean, I'd read Bud Hopkins' book, uh, Missing Time, and then I read Intruders, and, uh, you know, uh, these are the... Uh, the two books that I had read before, um, uh, when I just when I started doing hypnosis in 1986, and I think it was in '86 that that uh, Intruders came out, uh, and and that's what I knew about the subject. I read some other stuff as well, obviously, but it, there wasn't a whole lot known. I didn't, and and I, I must say that I uh, uh, I'm not a real spiritual type person. Uh, and uh, so I just started out with a clean slate, wondering what in the devil is going on here, and uh, and this is what I've come up with. What are the types of the when people have these abduction experiences? What are the types of creatures, the types of aliens that they're that they're seeing on these ships? And also, what's kind of like the role of these of these hybrids as well? The, the what of the hybrids? The the role. Their role. Oh, the role of yeah. Birds, yeah. Well, first of all, people see um, they see ones who look like insects. Um, most common phrase used is that they look like praying mantises. Uh, my guess is that these are the ones in charge. These are the ones who give orders. Everybody else is an order taker. Uh, these are the ones who are carrying out the program. Uh, people, once in a while, sometimes will observe um, ones who they, they call reptilian. Now, when you ask people to draw uh, a reptilian, they will draw everything from a gray alien to an alligator-looking one to a snake-like one. In other words, a widespread group. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly what kind of reptilians are involved. Uh, but it's not usual. It's not something that everybody says all the time. It is said once in a while. Uh, whereas if you look on the internet, it's said all the time. It's yeah. all reptilian all the time. Well, you can I thank do, David Icke for that. Oh, is that where that comes from? Yeah. Oh, I don't read <laughs> David Icke. I've, I've got more important things to do, like uh, watch television. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's where it comes from. Okay, well, it, well, well uh, the thing is, though, that uh, I mean, it sounds snarky to say that, and I, but I, I do know that David Icke is not an abduction researcher in, in, in a way in which I, I think is legitimate, but that's just me. Right. So, um, and, and uh, <clears throat> so we see then gray aliens, uh, we and um, and hybrids. The hybrids, you know, look sometimes really, really, really. Uh, uh, close to being a gray alien, but they have a tiny little mouth and a tiny little nose and tiny little hairs, hairs and very thin bodies and very large heads and very thin hair, if they do have hair. And I call those early stage. And then there's one there, mi middle stage uh, 
hybrids who sort of look half and half, and uh, then there's ones who look more human. I, I'm, I'm simplifying this for for the listeners, and um, and then there and then there's ones who look really human, uh, who I think are, are special kinds of hybrids, and then there's uh, who help the next generation of hybrids, who I call hubrids, just to make to differentiate between the ones who are actually moving in and living here in houses, in, I'm sorry, in apartments, and the ones who who look human but aren't quite human enough to live here, and so hubrids, a combination of the word human and hybrid, hubrids. Other ones, in my opinion, who are are uh, living here now. All the other hybrids are uh, are supportive. What you're looking at is a workforce, a long chain of workers, all of whom have tasks to do, all of whom who are working for the same goal, all of whom are making sure that uh, the abductees are 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 also doing the right things as 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 enlisted workers, so to speak. Uh, they have no choice in the matter. Uh, they, uh, they are abductees because their mother or their father were abductees. And uh, they're part of the workforce also. And everybody is in service here of placing these hubrids into human society, not just American society, since this is global, but human society. So that it's... Uh, this is this is a fairly uh, this is an astonishing kind of program, and it's not something that I ever, ever, ever imagined that I would be talking about when I got interested in UFOs when I was an undergraduate at UCLA back in the right. mid-1960s. You know, uh, it, it that was this is something that would have never, ever, ever, ever occurred to me, but. As a historian, you are required to go where the evidence leads you, whether you kick and scream while en route or not. Mm. And uh, and the evidence is, is the evidence. The evidence is strong as far as I'm concerned. And um, it leads to one point. It leads to this uh, to this funneling of, of hubrids into this society for reasons that we do not know. I was going to ask you about, since this is a global integration, has anyone ever, well, I suppose, encountered these hubrids in more races than just, say, Caucasian? Are there black hubrids? Are there Asian? Do they see, has that been reported? Yeah, I think that there are. Um, uh, it's We do not see... Here's how it works. When people are abducted, they uh, they are abducted in an area. Uh, these aliens will work a neighborhood, so to speak. They'll be uh, so. If a person is African American and is abducted, most likely the other uh, people who are abducted, if they live in a predominantly uh, black neighborhood, that most of the people on board who are abductees would be African-American. Okay. Uh, and so I will get uh, uh, people saying uh, that when they're sitting in a when people are abducted, sometimes they're abducted onto a large ship. And when that happens, they sit in an ante room 
on a ledge in a, in a circular room waiting for them. They have the closing room and they're waiting to be processed, essentially. And so they can look around and they can see other people. And I'll ask them, you know, do you see uh, children there, men, is it predominantly women and men? Uh, and I will ask them, do you see uh, African-American men and women or not? And every once in a while, people will say yes. And I've worked with uh, only a few African-American abductees, uh, but I don't know how many people who are black. Bud worked with several uh, African-American abductees also, but I don't know how many, uh, I don't know whether this is just a question of them coming forward or whether it's a question of them uh, just being fewer abductees. Uh, we don't know. We don't know the demographics ultimately of, uh, of abductees. Uh, when uh, when you talk about demographics, you're you're talking about money for polling procedures and all that sort of stuff. And and the money that I have made uh, from uh, well, every time a, as I say, every time a person comes into my house, I spend a hundred dollars minimum. Right. Cost me a minimum because I don't charge for anything I've done, and neither did Bud. And uh, it was just a a negative cash flow business. The money flows out of my bank account. Yeah. If anybody's out there saying that, you know, this guy's out there trying to make money, then, then that's just, that's wrong. You know, it, it's, it's nonsensical. And, uh, people say, well, you write books, don't you? And the answer is, yeah, this is my first, first book in 15 years. And yeah, I, cause I the threat was 98. So yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, I published a book in 2000 that I edited and added chapters to called UFOs and Infections, Challenging the Borders of Knowledge. That was an academic press book. Uh, University Press of Kansas published that. But um, but the fact is, though, that that uh, uh, I'm not going to make back the money that I that I, I I've spent over the over the past 30 years almost doing abduction uh, research. It's just not going to happen. Uh, if I were to write books about spirituality and 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 all that sort of stuff, those those <laughs> those are big sellers, you know, or or conspiracy stuff. Those are bigger sellers, even. Oh, we know uh, that. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't subscribe to those kinds of things. I mean, I, my my world is is simply the abduction uh, phenomenon. Right. One one field there. Jeff, was there anything that you wanted to? Ask? I'm interested how you got how you originally got into this field and it well, seems like it's been like a 40 year obsession wrong wrong again it's been a 50 year obsession 50 year obsession <laughs> excuse me uh, um yeah i was scared i was hesitant um, to say that number but any um uh, no, yeah i'm just I, what sparked I, when I was it? at ucla uh in in the in, in the mid 1960s 65 around uh, uh and going into 66 i I, I got interested in UFOs for some reason or another. I don't know why. I can't. I I've tried to remember what what hooked me, what I did, what I got into. I do remember reading the April uh, uh, 1966 issue of Life magazine and marveling at the photographs that they had of UFOs in there. If you can imagine a mainline magazine carrying photos of UFOs these days. Uh, which is not going to happen. But um, and and uh, by the time my wife and I moved to uh, Wisconsin, which was just in in uh, in August of 1966, um, 
I, I was heavily into the subject already. I, I had been reading books and this and that. I was really into it. And I'd already gone to a UFO conference put up by uh, a guy named Dr. Frank Stranges. Yeah, Frank Stranges. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, and uh, it was. It was, uh, my wife and I went, and we took a couple of friends who didn't know anything about the subject at all with us. And um, we sat in the balcony. And we heard uh, sort of mind-numbing uh, speeches about UFOs. But then came the big event. The major reason why everybody was there, it was a movie of an actual UFO in all its glory and splendor spinning amidst some trees in a forested area. And if you squinted hard enough, if you squinted hard <laughs> enough, you could avoid seeing the string it was hanging from. <laughs> you had to squint really hard to do that. You know, Strangest was an interesting guy in and of himself. Uh, you know, the whole valiant Thor, uh, yeah, the stranger right. in the Pentagon stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, this is an old con- contactee style guy. You know, right. And, uh, George Adamski stuff. Yeah, George Adamski was the leader of this group in the 50s, and uh, Howard Menger and Truman Betharone and Orfeo Angelucci and Vi Vi Venus and Prince Neusim, Neusim, and there were all the whole bunch of them. Right. <laughs> and, uh, Orthon. They took tri- yeah, or, well, yeah, there was that too. <laughs> they, uh, they, they took trips to the moon, to Mars, to Venus. Howard Menger famously said that they. He took a trip to the moon in a flying saucer because, you know, the, the space people were friendly. They'd take him on trips. And uh, he got off, and the air on the moon was just like the air we breathe here on Earth. And he had dinner with the king of the moon, and uh, and uh, it was, everything was wonderful when he brought him back. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a, a Buck Rogers or a Flash Gordon episode, really. But <laughs> Well, that was really the only thing that they had uh, to, to, to rely on and to, you know, popular culture of, uh, of 20 years before. Right. But, um, uh, but, but the fact was though, that, uh, th- that was an awful situation because what, they, they really spoiled the UFO phenomenon, uh, of, uh, for, for the rest, for a lot of the public. It certainly, uh, you get a guy like Truman Betharum, uh, who goes on the Tonight Show? Now this is the with Steve Allen. It was the first host of the the, the Tonight Show, and here's a guy who uh, took trips with flying saucers. And he was out in the desert one day when he first saw his flying saucer it was landed, and he went over to it, and uh, he he met the crew, and they were sort of dressed up, kind of like in flight suits, if you were a uh, captain of a of a a regular air carrier here, like like American Airlines, their little caps and all that. And he met the uh, the leader of the crew, who was a diminutive but beautiful young woman. And um, and he was, and then he gave him a, uh, a I guess a, a tour of the ship or a flight or somewhere. Anyway, then he went back to his normal job, whatever he's doing. And uh, one morning he. he he walked down to the Greyhound bus station to get his to sit at the counter and get his uh, cup of coffee that he had there every morning. And when he said that, he went down to the Greyhound bus station. I, there was certainly this image of his life, you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he's sitting at the counter, and he looks down at the counter, and there's the captain of the scow, as he called uh, the flying saucer, who was also sitting there having a cup of coffee. 
and he was just amazed to see her. And as he, as he went, went up to go up to her, she turned around, she put her finger to her lips, shh, saying, you know, don't don't blow my uh, don't don't blow my my uh, what's cover? My, yeah, yeah, my cover. I'm sorry, don't no material last. Don't blow my cover. And she didn't want anybody to know. Uh, so so he didn't and all that, but. She was having a cup of coffee at the Greyhound bus station, too, see? She was just on break. She didn't want to uh, be bothered. Uh, are we sure <laughs> that it wasn't L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology? <laughs> uh, well, that comes along a, a lot later. But uh, but the thing is though, that, that um, this guy is saying this, is talking about this on The Tonight Show. Yeah. And uh, um, And so in the 50s, UFO researchers spent all their time, all their money, and all their energy trying to combat the contactees because they were giving a bad name to everybody who was a UFO witness, and there were about 10 trillion UFO witnesses out there, and, uh, and, and the evidence for UFOs existing was accruing at a fantastic rate. And the government was interested in it, and they, were, they had Project Blue Book out already and, you know, and everything else. And so... Uh, the 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 contactees uh really screwed things up in my opinion quite a lot and uh, and the air force didn't help either in terms of their unbelievable stupidity yeah i i and, really think there might have been some disinformation going on there with the contactees maybe the the air force or some intelligence agency could have been behind them to kind of deflect attention away nah they they did it all by themselves. They were all money makers. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> they found a way. And, you know, the... <laughs> well, I, I wanted to ask you about how the 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 children, the hybrid children, the young adolescents as well, how the the abductees have kind of been training them. They've been brought to these individual abductees. And they're usually trained in some of the just like things that we would just term as just mundane existence, uh, just just simple things. You know, how does this process come go about with this this training? Right. I, did you, we, you're talking about children being trained, or or young adults, or yeah, any any of them really. Well, the Hubert children who are still in the process of being sorted out as to which ones would go down eventually and which ones uh, will be culled from the herd. Um, they are taught uh, uh, by, by abductees who stand, who stand in a room uh, that kids sit on little on raised squares, if I can kind of describe this, like on a square block except that it's part of the floor and it's just raised up. That's those are the, those are chairs on board the UFO, and uh, they will ask questions of the abductee. Uh, for example, in the threat, you know, I talked about uh, one woman who um, uh, had there were sort of images on the on the screen like device on the wall, and one of the images was a dog, and the children would ask, uh, you know, what was that, and uh, she'd explain what a dog was and what's a dog for. And as you say, well, uh, for companionship and love and this and that. Right. And uh, then they would ask questions like, do you eat dog? No, no, <laughs> she doesn't eat dog. She doesn't eat dog. Um, and there's the next picture was a goat, as I remember. And um, 
she asked, they asked what's a goat for? Well, they can get cheese and milk from a goat and so forth. Do you eat goats? Well, she said, no, she was a vegetarian, but other people did. And, um, and they would go on to something else. And, um, the thing about these children is you have to remember they are raised on board a UFO in a telepathic society. Not only are they raised, but they are not born um, from the very beginning of this phenomenon, of knowing about this phenomenon, the 1957 Antonio Villas-Boas case in Brazil, mm-hmm. uh, we knew that, that there was indications that this was uh, reproductively oriented. Uh, they forced her to, um, they forced him uh, to, to have intercourse with a, a female um, who, who looked very human, but was a member of their, their uh, crew, so to speak. There, it was she. She lived there uh, for some reason. And with Barney Hill, they took sperm from Barney, and they took, uh, although he had that taken out of a book written about him and and his wife Betty Hill. Yeah, uh, in, in their case in 1961, uh, I should have said that first. But uh, that was the first American case that we heard of, and they took sperm from Barney Hill. They took, uh, they put a needle into um, uh, Betty's navel, right. and she said, in her thoughts, thinking almost thinking that it was coming from them. That's my analysis that it, this was a pregnancy test. Uh, they almost certainly did not say that because I've never heard that phrase uttered ever again. And um, they don't have pregnancy tests, but the procedure is very common. So we know that the procedure was right, but when, when people don't know much about how telepathy works and, and it's only, and the person who's asking questions doesn't understand it either. Like the, the hypnotist who was working with them. Uh, if all communication is telepathic, people often just hear their own thoughts and then think that they're coming from somewhere else and then will tell them to a researcher that the aliens told me so-and-so, 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 and it's not, the aliens didn't say that. And that's probably, we'll never know, but that's probably what happened with Betty Hill. Okay. So from those first two cases, we knew that there was, it was, there was reproductively oriented. It never changed. It has been rigidly reproductively oriented all the way through. And um, what they do is they take eggs and sperm. They then alter a fertilized egg and sperm. They alter the, the egg in such a way we, don't, we do not know. I'm, gonna, I'm going to just guess by inserting some type of alien DNA in, into the mix if there is such a thing as alien DNA, and I don't know that either, um, and, there is, and then they place it back into a woman's uterus uh, for about nine to 11 weeks until she begins to show. At that point, they remove it. The woman has already got taken an early pregnancy test. She's pregnant, and then, of course, it's impossible for her to be pregnant. Uh, there's all, I won't even go into the whole world of discovering that, that you might be pregnant, and then suddenly you aren't, and there's no miscarriage or anything. Right. And um, then um, uh, they're pla- these, the fetuses are placed in nutrition tanks. Uh, they're, they're in liquids, uh, with, uh, in, in a, a nutritional uh, liquid. And uh, then after a while, when they grow to a certain size, they're removed. That means that they don't know how old they are. 
They've never had a birthday party. They've never seen a candle. They don't know what a cake is. They don't get presents. They don't know who their parents are. They don't know who their brothers and sisters are. They don't know anything about human society or life at all. Right. So as a baby here in in humanity land, as a baby, um, from the time that baby is born, from the time it opens its eyes, it is absorbing knowledge of its surroundings. And uh, so by the time that baby can start to talk, at, you know, or walk, let's just say, 14 months or 12 months or whatever it is, or talk or babble, they, they already know what a spoon is and what a plate is and what the refrigerator is and all that sort of stuff. They know that just through, you don't have to explain it to them. They know it just through absorption, just from watching, just observing. And uh, whereas these kids on board uh, the object have to be explained, it has to be explained to them, it, uh, almost everything about human society has to be told to them in some way or another. Now, there is a problem in this argument. None of the people have pointed out, and, and it's a good, and, and they pointed it out correctly. They say that they learn differently than human children do. They, they say we, we don't go to school, we learn differently. We don't really see them writing a lot. Sometimes there will be some writing, but most of the time they don't write. We don't see them with books either. We see them probably getting a transfer of knowledge into them. So the, by, by other hybrids or other aliens or whatever. But the question then is, is once they learn X number of things, why don't they just pass it on to the next generation of hybrid children? Right. That would seem to make sense. Yeah. It would. But I, we don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, we don't, we wouldn't be there when that was happening because they, um, my guess is that they don't need humans around to do that. And, um, and even if humans were, I don't know whether humans would be able to tap into the transfer of knowledge that would be going through. And I'm not, I, I, I don't know whether they're, whether they can do that or not. I'm not sure. So, uh, uh, but it shows you that, you know, we know only as much as we know, and I wish we knew more. Uh, but, um, but the fact is, though, that the learning is, is on a rudimentary level that is, is just astonishing. Right. Now, when those kids reach the age of around 8 to 10, they'll sometimes be taken down with an adult caretaker, a hybrid who is not a Hubert, who's not going to be living here, will take them down and have the abductee show uh, the 10-year-old, let's just say, what a house looks like from the inside. Show them the kitchen, the appliances, the sink, explain you know, what it's for, explain what, what's in these cans, explain what a freezer is for, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and um, so their process of moving in 
starts early on in terms of preparation in actually in some abductees' homes. Now, once again, if I have like, you know, four or five abductees saying this, it's obviously happening to a, a lot of abductees, so lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. It's, not, it's impossible for me to have the only four or five in the entire world who are doing this. So, um, and that continues on for a while uh, until at age 17 to about 23 or whatever. Once again, we don't know their ages. They don't know their ages. Uh, they then begin to move into apartments in twos, threes, and fours. Uh, mainly threes, from what I can tell. Some hubrids are especially earmarked to live alone. I call those independent hubrids. I do not know why. I don't know why this one would be an independent hubrid and those would be just regular hubrids, I, you know, the, the, the ones who are moving in in threes or whatever. The abductee has to help these, uh, help them move, uh, move in, literally sometimes, uh, has to uh, teach them how to make a bed, how to, uh, uh, you know, have a, a, a how, to, how to furnish the house if they have furniture, where to put the furniture, a table goes in a dining room area, a couch needs to face a television if that's all you've got, you know, and that sort of stuff. And uh, they also have to explain what a television is and how it works and the right. rules for watching television. And it's, it, it's pretty it's a much world on itself. It's like just starting from complete and total scratch of just these things that we take for granted and that we just see as this commonplace. It's like it, it, you've had one, I think. Um, of the abductees that you, well, you call her Karen in the book that seems to be just like really frustrated with them. You know, that was one of the yeah. interesting aspects there. She is the only person in the book who was in a secret life, who was in the threat and who is now in uh, walking among us, uh, <clears throat> Karen Morgan. And she, uh, I'm still in contact with her. I, this is the woman I started working with in 1987. Wow. And, um, She's a, a resistor. There was something about her brain chemistry that allowed her to say no. She wound up doing whatever they wanted, but she was always reluctant. She was always put up a fuss. Uh, she she liked to insult them, uh, but she wound <laughs> up doing whatever they wanted anyway. And um, uh, and some people have, I guess, have those have that that kind of brain chemistry which allows you to do that. And, you know, uh, you got to remember that maybe 90 to 95% of all abductees have no idea whatsoever that they're abductees. They remember nothing. The people we see are the ones who have bleed through memories, who remember oddities here and there that shouldn't have happened. Uh, and most people don't remember oddities. Most people don't remember anything. It's a clandestine phenomenon. It's secretive. And, and it, without that secrecy aspect, there wouldn't be an abduction phenomenon. We'd find a way. We'd know right about it right away. We'd find a way to stop it in some way, or at least to fight it. Uh, and and uh, you know things would be different. But it is secret, and it's hugely successful. They make mistakes, and sometimes their their cover is blown. Uh, the phrase I wanted to use before. Um, but they. Uh, um, 
but by and large, uh, the level of mistakes is at, is at a fairly low level, and uh, they continue to do this. Uh, uh, and you know, people will see other people being abducted and all the rest of that stuff, which are, which is usually a mistake if, they're, if other people aren't abducted. But but the fact is, though, <clears throat> that they are very very good at what they do, and they've obviously been doing this for a long time. And if I found what I think might be the change here, it probably had been going on for a long time, too, beforehand, for all I know, meaning that the change might be something different than what I think it is. Uh, so uh, it, it, I just wish I knew more, but I know enough now to uh, to, to understand sort of what, what the general trajectory is, what the goal is, and all that. Incidentally, I... I filled this book with a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, sort of mind-numbing transcripts, but uh, but I did that for a reason because I wanted to show people the level that right. that these things work work on. But my favorite story is the the kid sitting in the chair. I don't know if you read that. That was a uh, a ten-year-old kid comes into uh, an abductee's house. And uh, with a caretaker, he wouldn't come alone. They, they wouldn't. That wouldn't happen. And the caretaker is an adult, and he, she shows the kid the kitchen and this and that and this and that. And they go into the living room, and she and the caretaker sit on a couch, and the kid uh, looks over at this chair, which is an upholstered chair with a blanket on it, and he wants to know why there's a blanket on it. And she says, "Well." when they bought that house, the chair was there. So they just kept the chair and, um, uh, they don't like the color. And so, uh, so they put a blanket on it. So he lifts up the, the cover, uh, the, the blanket and he says, Oh, I like the color. Oh, the color is nice. And she, she said later it was a pumpkin color. And, um, he liked that color. So, uh, then he goes to sit in the chair and he doesn't sit back. He just sits sort of ramrod straight and the caretaker says to him, sit back like me. <laughs> and he moves back a little bit, but he's still ramrod straight, and he's not touching the back of the chair. And there's, as I, I can't remember, I have to look at the book now. There's a little bit more discussion about sitting back. And finally, uh, Betsy, who's sort of the star abductee in this book, um, figures out what the problem is. The kid thinks that if he if he leans back, he's going to fall right through the back, hmm. and and fall on the floor. She says to him, "No, no, no! You don't understand. There's a there's oh he didn't say it, but she got what what he what the problem was. She said there's a there's wood in the back of the chair. It won't let you fall. It's covered with upholstery with with, with cloth and stuffing and all that, but you won't fall." So he gets right. up off the chair and he goes around to the back of the chair and he feels it. He goes, oh, oh, I see, I see. Oh, yeah, hard. Okay. Then he comes back and he slowly inches his way. He goes back in and he sits against the back of the chair. It's like the concept just was not there in his mind. It was a not completely only is new the concept, concept not, not there in his mind, but who on this earth would think of that as a fake story to tell? Yeah, it's strange. It really, I mean, it really is a, a strange story. The two things that struck me when I read some of the stories in the book, and these are just, for some reason, these really got under my skin. 
was the fact that you will have these hubrids living in these apartments and that they will, <laughs> there will be no furniture in the apartment. And, and, and right. I, and I can tell you, and after reading this book, I, you know, I, I have a delivery job and I've delivered to people in, in houses before in apartments that have no furniture. <laughs> I've seen that. And, and the second thing was these trips to places like Walmart to Kmart to all night gas stations. And it really right. makes you wonder about some of the people that you possibly could see. You know, like it was like most of the time it was the Hubert with an abductee. The abductee was showing the Hubert what he could buy, how to make change, this basic right. kind of stuff. And usually it's in the middle of the night. They'll go to an all night grocery store, an all night Walmart, something like that. Yep. Yeah, that's it, it, uh, they have to be taught all that stuff. Uh, and, um, it, it's, it, it's amazing. I mean, e even the, the, the smallest details have to be taught. For example, um, in one of them, uh, uh, this woman, Betsy brings up her hybrid, her hubrid with, they, they, they bought a, some, they put some items in the cart and she was teaching him how to, that's what they needed a cart and what various foodstuffs were and all the rest of that. And then they come up. And what she has to teach him then is to the point of the ca the person behind the cash register when they come up to check out says something to the point of, um, hey, how you doing? And she has to instruct him. I don't know if she did it then or later, yeah. later, I guess, that he has to reply. He has to say something like, oh, I'm okay, thanks, or whatever it is. But she has to say something. Uh, he can't just stand there, you know, or whatever. I mean, they have to, it's at that level along with making change, along with um, uh, what to eat, what to buy, you know, and all that sort of thing. And and uh, it's just, it's, uh, I found a lot of those transcripts just sort of astonishing, even when I was figuring out, picking out which ones to choose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, it's 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 not whatever what I expected. It's 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 so totally different from how I how I expected things to be, and yet it's so totally logical. For once you realize it's happening, the logic of it, it makes sense. These people have never have been here for short periods of time before, but they don't know enough about the society to know anything. Uh, even though for most of their lives they've had abductees telling them things, it doesn't matter. Uh, there, there's just too many things to absorb just in normal daily life uh, for them to have to be taught everything. It's just, it, it's an enormous task. Um, however, since they are really good learners, and since my guess is they retain everything, you only got to tell them once, uh, they they learn very quickly, and my and they they will leave the abductee and then move into the society without the abductee's help. Now, having said that, it's not just one abductee. My best guess is most of the hubrids will have several abductees who are helping them. 
so when they're away from one abductee, they're with a different abductee, and then a different one, and and uh, and there's a little hint of that uh, when uh, I don't know if you got to that story about the the female uh, Hubert who was living here who got into a uh, yes. a, a bad situation, right? With some guys she was dating, two of them were brothers or something like that. Yeah, she. And, yeah, that was, it was like a sexual situation that she was in it was with a these sexual guys. Situation. Yeah, right. They got all hot and bothered that uh, she was seeing all of them, and uh, and uh, she she had to control them, and, and 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 she wondered why this had happened. And he brought her to uh, this hybrid brought her to Hubert brought her to to um, be counseled by Betsy, and but she had other. He had other ones too, and I think that they they might have been males, for all I know. Uh, but everybody has a position, a job to do in this in the workforce for putting these people down uh, here, and uh, uh, it's a smoothly run operation. It dates back to uh, probably the last quarter of the 19th century. Uh, we can guess at that. Uh, we have a minor degree of certainty by ni- at 1917. We have a lot of certainty at 1920s and a lot more in the 1930s and 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 100% certainty in the 1940s on. Uh, so it's been around for a long time. Uh, and what that means is that time doesn't seem to mean much to them. In so other words... There's a patience there. I'm sorry, see that? There's a patience yeah. there. There is a patience yeah. there, but it's not just a patience. It might be a patience that, that, that could be lasting for another 50 years, for 150 years doing this, let's just say, or whatever, or 30 years or 20 years. Uh, it has to do with lifespan. My my thoughts are that they could, uh, the ones who are in charge, these insect-like beings, might live for 500 years for all we know, for 1,000 years. I mean, there are trees here that have lived for 3,000, 5,000 years. Uh, some people say that there are some bacteria that live forever and they never die. Um, and so I, I, I don't, you know, time just doesn't, they don't seem to be in a hurry. They're, they're proceeding at their, at their own pace, uh, which is hurry. It's, it's worrisome enough. Uh, I mean, it's fast enough also, but but they're doing what they're doing with a certain kind of regularity that they just and they just keep doing it day in day out, night after night, day after day, year after year. Now this can only be done if there's a a, a considerable number of abductees to be around. And the way that is dealt with is that abduct, the abduction phenomenon is intergenerational. If you are uh, an abductee, your mother or your father was an abductee, and if you have kids, right. your kids are going to be abductees as well. When they get married, and when you get married or whoever, almost certainly you're not going to get married to another abductee. You might. I mean, it's possible, of course, and it does happen. And in fact, I know several couples uh, who are abductees themselves. But most of, most people aren't abductees, so your chances are diminished to marrying an abductee. Most people are non-abductees. Right. However, 
what is happening then is you and the non-abductee are making two abductees. And those two abductees will get married to non-abductees, and they'll make four abductees. So, so on and so forth, right? So on and so forth through the through the through the many years that this has been going on, uh, and it therefore the population of abductees, in other words, workers in the workforce, uh, continues at the same rate of speed, if not faster, than the population growth in the society. Because they have to have that, and consequently, uh, in order to do that, they have to have more gray aliens, who I think are also hybrids, to tell you the truth. I won't go into why I think that, but it has to do with their mouths, and um, uh, and there's uh, so they have to have a constant restocking of high, uh, of of, high, of gray aliens, who are the main workers, and hybrids who do other work. Uh, because of the population increase. There has to be more and more. So there's more and more of them. Now, they may be hybridizing at a faster rate. They might be cloning gray aliens, for all we know, because they really look alike. Uh, and uh, there, there's ways that we don't understand and what that they're doing that we don't know. But they're, they have to have more UFOs also to keep people on. So their program is expanding at the same rate that our rate that our population is expanding, and everything is therefore staying the same essentially as uh, as the as the hybrids continue, the hybrids continue to move in, and as the program develops. Well, one one statement I'll make is that this this whole thing about them getting apartments. I mean, there has to be some kind of financial. Uh, support structure for that. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm going to write a book about talking with a hybrid through instant messaging and email that I I had occasion to do. Uh, And it sounds crazy and I'm not an abductee, but there was a, but you'll see that there was a logical run up to it. Well, see, that was a question I was wanting to ask you. Uh, do you feel that they are probably aware of your work? Well, they only care about one thing, and that is um, keeping uh, abductees from talking about their work and therefore violating secrecy uh-huh. and, and putting them in danger. But once uh, uh, there was a break, uh, once I stopped working with Betsy, then the people around, there was this one Hubert who was interested in talking to me. And to my shame and disgrace and guilt, uh, in the last conversation we had, we had eight conversations, some of them lasting for four hours and starting at one in the morning. Um, if you can imagine that, uh, and she lives in she lives in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, I asked him what happens when the manager comes around to get the rent, and he said, "Well, when he comes into my door, he just knows that I've already paid the rent to him, and he goes off to the next one." And what I'm talking about here is that hybrids 
and all hybrids and all aliens can not only talk telepathically, but they can control people's thoughts, images, ideas, make them forget everything. All hybrids and all hybrids can do that. And that's that's a, an awful thing. That's the worst thing I'm going to say because, that, as, as I've said many times, that makes them a first-class species and us humans a second-class species. Yeah. We cannot control them, but they can control us. So he said, well, he just knows I pay the rent. Uh, but But he didn't, of course. I said, no, you can't do that because eventually the owner is going to realize that there's a shortfall. And it's going to assume that the manager who's collecting the rent has been skimming money off the top, has been taking money, and the manager will be fired. And then there'll be a new manager, and there's going to be a shortfall again. And then that manager will be fired, but eventually they're going to find out where the shortfall is coming from. And Makes I sense. said to myself... Yeah, and they'll 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 question him, you know, or whatever. And I said, and it scared him. And I said to myself later on, "Why did I tell him that? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I just let nature take its course? It he couldn't control me. I'm 125 miles away from where he was." <laughs> right. So, but but you'll see, there was a logical progression to this too, actually, and there was. Uh, it, it, it'll be an interesting book. It'll be the only book I've ever written that that is uh, ha- has a storyline attached to it. <laughs> but um, so that's how they do it, from what I can tell. And then uh, my guess is that eventually they'll just move to another apartment. Hmm. Uh, Doctor Jacobs, are you familiar with Nick Redfern? Are you familiar with him? Uh, you know, I know who he is. I haven't read any of his material, okay. however. He uh he wrote a book uh well he's he's written books about he's written several books but he's one of the things that he talks about is the uh the men in black the yeah. MIB and right. he wrote an article not too long ago on a website he had read this book Walking Among Us and he said that he really to him it reminded him of some of the mater- the men in black material and it's some yeah. there's some cases where that they will they will they will come to visit people and they will have this really odd behavior or they will remark about some of the most mundane things like eating or sleeping or, or things like that. So he saw that there was some very do you think there these similarities? Do you think that there's any similarities there between that the, those well, two there, phenomena? There might, yeah, there might be. I, I I don't really know. I know the men in black was a, a hoax a hoax situation uh, from the nineteen fifties and the contactees. Uh, where it originated. But um, first of all, the ones who are living here would not be wearing black, all black. They would, that would make them stand out. That would not be allowed. Yeah. Uh, that would be impossible. Everybody would be staring at them. That, nobody, no, they go for the average, average clothes, average height, average looks, average everything. Uh, so standing out or uh, would, would not, not be part of the abduction phenomenon. Um, so, but the question is, are the people who are reporting that, are they remembering things correctly? Are they thinking that they wore black because it was at night or something? In other words, I'm trying to get my brain around how this could be possible. Um, I, I don't know how it's possible yet, but it, it, 
It, it might be, but they can't be wearing black. That would be out of the question. It's like dressing up all in purple. It wouldn't. People would stare at you, you know. And, and they don't. That that is. If you, if you read the book, I mean, they, that's that's the one thing that they harp on the most. Don't stand it, out. It, yeah, don't stand out. Just right. fit in, blend in. Nobody will know, and and that's the key thing. So if you think you see somebody, uh, if you think you see a hybrid, he's a guy who who looks weird and he acts weird and he and he asks inappropriate questions and all that. He's not a hybrid or a hybrid uh, because he's standing out, and you order, you know immediately that he's probably a hybrid. But if he was, he would be controlling you, and you would not even think that. See what hmm. I mean? Right, and exactly. So, it's, it's, so I, I don't know how that works. Uh, I guess I'm going to be a, at a conference with Nick Redfern uh, in Phoenix, near Phoenix, at the International UFO Congress. I think he's going to be there. I'm not sure. Okay. I've never met him at all, so I'll meet him there and uh, next year, and I'll... I'll see if I can read some of his stuff and and then ask him some questions about it. Uh, yeah, we've had we've had Nick on the show a few times now. He's an interesting, very interesting guy, very knowledgeable on a lot of these subjects. Uh, about fear and about paranoia, because this is something with this material of where, like you said, their whole thing is do not stand out. Right. Are you are you are you concerned with what you've written here that that someone could mistake someone for an alien for a, for a hybrid? Yes, yes. I, uh, it, it's it's not just that. It's I'm I'm afraid. I, I fear for abductees as well, but yeah. certainly for a hybrid or a hybrid. You know, now they wouldn't be able to do anything because they would be controlled by the hybrid. But uh, but for abductees, uh, um, I, I I just hope that people don't get all hot and bothered. Abductees are unwilling people who have literally been kidnapped against their will and forced to do what these beings uh, want them to do. Uh, that's the only way you can look at abductees. They do it against their will. Is, this is not something that they look forward to. They're they're. If you if you read uh, uh, some of the transcripts I put in there, you know people will say to me, I I, I feel like a traitor to the human race. You know, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yep. They, yeah, and they, it, they feel strongly about that they that they're going to betray their own species in a way. Right, and they and yet they have to do what they're doing, and they keep doing it, um, and because they have no choice, they have no control over the, the situation, and so. Uh, um, I, 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 when I look at, at the future, <clears throat> I, I look at what's all, all the rage in science fiction movies now, and that is a dystopian future, a future of bad things happening, an ice age or, or whatever, you know, everybody is dead except for uh, Will Smith or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't want right. to live in that world. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, and once again, when I was at UCLA and started looking at UFOs and getting interested in the UFO phenomenon, it never occurred to me ever, ever, ever that I would be saying such things, that I would be in this situation, that I'd be talking about hybrids and, and, and aliens living here and, 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 and talking with a hybrid who was uh, 
uh, uh, over email. Of course, they never envisioned email in the 1960s, but uh, or instant messaging or whatever. I can't imagine even what I've seen. And I've given a lot of interviews, and, I, and it always amazes me what I'm saying. I can't even get over what I'm saying or what I wrote. You know, it's right. it's so off the wall. The material is so nutty, is so crazy, is so go, goes against against everything that everything everybody thinks is logical and rational for our future. And I look at this and I think this is the greatest existential threat that we have ever ever had. It, it, it's it's an absolute threat to the existence of the human race. It's an existential threat. That, that has never been even vaguely approached and it's happening all the time. And I don't know if we can stop it. And I don't know if people will, uh, uh, people, the academic, it's, it's the, here's the way it should work. The, the academic and scientific community begins to study the subject. They realize there's something of extreme importance here. They go to the president of the United States or they write a long letter like I, like uh, Einstein did with his other, uh, colleagues uh, saying that they could build an atomic bomb. They wrote a letter to Roosevelt. They do something like that. They get the president's attention. They start talking, and, they, and they're, suddenly they realize something is going on. You've got 100 scientists here, all major ones, all saying the same thing. And then the government starts to, to, to think about how can we deal with this. We've got to learn about it. Then we've got to learn how to stop it if it's happening. I don't see anything like that going on in spite of everybody who says the government is covering up and government conspiracies and this and that. I look to the scientific and academic community to act first and the government to act second. It's like when they found um, that that Mar, uh, a Martian rock that was uh, a part of a meteorite and it looked like there might have been life inside of it. Yeah. You can see a little trail thing, you know, it was like a fossilized uh, uh, imprint or something of something that might have been uh, lifelike. Uh, the first thing they did was they took it to the president of the United States. You had scientists taking it to the president. And that's what would happen. That's what would happen. Uh, it's already happened with Clinton, uh, you know, when they took it to Clinton. And then uh, if they found any, if they found life on Mars, the first person to know about it would be uh would be, would be the president of the United States. Nothing like that has happened with, with the abduction phenomenon. And this would be, I, you'd have to have more scientists involved with this because this is crazy. Sure, we can go to Mars and look for life and maybe find it. That's fine. But Martians can't come here and find our life. That's not fine. That's bad. So that's crazy. Huh. So, uh, as long as the scientific community and the academic community refuses to engage with this phenomenon, nothing is going to happen, in my opinion, and I hope I'm wrong. And I'm sure there's a lot of researchers out there who'll say that I'm wrong and all that, and that's fine, but, but that's that's the way I feel about it. And uh, it's not just that. The academic and scientific community is not just disinterested in the subject. They are more actively hostile to the subject of abductions and UFOs than ever before in history. Right. right. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, there's, uh, there, there aren't budding young scientists coming up who on the sly, on the side, in their own time are studying the subject. There might be a few out there, but none of them have come forward 
uh, and uh, who have uh, who are, are seriously interested in in the abduction phenomenon, especially because abductions get you inside the uh, the shells of the objects. Otherwise, you're just looking at the, the outside skin of objects. You know, there's only so much you can learn from that. So, uh, um, uh, but I don't see anything like that happening as time, in my opinion, gets shorter and shorter, and nothing but nothing happens. One of the stories I like to tell is about my adventures at Temple, Temple University, where I taught for 36 years. Yes. Um, the number of people in the scientific uh, areas of the college, physicists, astrophysicists, chemists, whatever, uh, in the sciences, who came to me after being there for 36 years and getting more publicity, I might add, than any other faculty member outside of the sports program at Temple University, uh, that um, the number of people who came to me, scientists, and said to me, what the hell are you doing, Jacobs? What's this all about? What's going on here? Why do you keep, what is this stuff anyway? Hmm. The number is exactly zero. Not a single scientist ever sought me out to ask me, what the devil, why was I crazy the way I am, at least? I would well, have they, taken that. That they, would have been fine. They don't take this phenomenon seriously. They, they, they don't. In the 1950s and 60s, without abductions, a lot of them did. A lot of them were really yeah. interested in it, you know, but now... I can think, think of Heineck. I mean, he comes to mind, you know. He Alan was Heineck, a, of course. Yep. Yeah, he was the Air Force consultant to UFOs for UFOs from 1948 to 1969, and um, he became he was he came in as an unbeliever, and he came out as a uh, a convert, and became the preeminent uh, UFO researcher in the country. I suppose, really, the conclusion that we can kind of come down to with all this is, I guess, we're going to know what the Neanderthal felt like. That's <laughs> true. Although, uh, who knows them to the Neanderthals? Although, you know, scientists say now that they probably just uh, well, they fell off a cliff, they fell, they had spears in them, but uh, most of them perhaps just uh, blended into humanity, so to speak, and each one of us carries, what is it, 2% of our genes or something like yeah, that, or more of it. Yeah. And, and, more. But that, and that's another aspect, though, of this, of the Hubert, uh, that they are you know, integrate, and they're probably going to marry just regular human spouses, and have children that are that have this little bit of this DNA. That's that's kind of what you speculate in the book. Yeah, that that certainly is possible. But the difference is this: they're all loyal to the insect-like ones. All praise the insect-like ones. All praise to the insect-like ones, I should say. <laughs> uh, so that um, th this is this is an existential threat. This. If ever there was one, people say, well, the atomic bomb is an existential threat. And it, and it, and it is. It was and it is. You know, we could, we could easily bomb the entire world into the stone, into pre-Stone Age, into all life being dead. We could have done something like that or even. But um, uh, uh, this is that, that, that the chances of that happening are far less than the chances of the abduction phenomenon of the future for the abduction phenomenon, because this is a non-detective, fantastic, fantastic, hugely successful, <laughs> um, uh, global phenomenon. 
it's a global phenomenon. It's not Americans. It's it's not just Americans and Canadians, North Americans. It's you have to understand the amount of energy and time that has gone into this program. It's absolutely mind-boggling. I wanted to kind of ask something. You you sort of guffawed at people earlier that mentioned that maybe they're a, a benevolent force that's here to to rescue us from our you know dark ages or welcome us into some interstellar society or whatever um personally i i don't believe that if if aliens are among us that um they would have to integrate themselves into our society to take over if if what they want is our planet i think that they would just take it i call this in the book planetary acquisition and i think they're doing it with the civilization intact and i think they will just eventually probably supplant humans and just continue with the civilization intact and change it to however they want. That's actually, a gift. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. I I wanted to ask this a few minutes ago. You had said that they were they're integrating in and they're wanting to sort of fix our fix something that's wrong. What do you speculate that like, or even what do you what is your thoughts on what do you think they're going to fix? Did I say that? Well, I, I guess you sort of alluded to that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just asking your your personal opinion. Do you what do you think that they would maybe fix about our society? I can go on and on and on about it because I do in another podcast. But what's wrong with our world? Um, I'm kidding, of course. But anyway, though, do you what do you think that they're sort of um, they would want to fix? And and that's just what in your personal opinion. What do you think that is? I, 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 well, I, I'm stuttering here because I haven't, I haven't the slightest idea what they would want to fix. From what, the only way I see them is when they're in a learning situation. And mm-hmm. when they're off on their own, and therefore abductees don't know what's going on with them, uh, I have no idea what's rampaging through their minds. You know, uh, they're, they're, uh, the best thing that I can think of is that they just are... Uh, uh, here waiting for their brothers and sisters to come down and and, and make more of them. Uh, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, I do know that some have gotten, if you, if you remember at the end of the book, they, this woman thought that she was in a uh, cocktail party on board and people were standing around with drinks. Yeah. And so we looked at that and it was, there, it was a group of people, abductees and hubrids, who are on board, and some of them had what appeared to be glasses or something of water, but um, but they were getting. Some of them talked about having jobs, or she she sort of mentioned some of them having jobs, but they were like interns or trainees or something like that. They weren't getting paid, but they were they they liked what they were doing quite a lot. It was fascinating. They were learning all this stuff and about money. She thought one worked maybe in a bank or with stocks or something, you know, and you can see that that made sense being an intern somewhere as opposed to being, let's just say the president of the United States. You know what I mean? Starting at the bottom and maybe working up. The question is, do they have any knowledge of anything that that really needs to be fixed. I I don't know. I mean, there's 
I can think of plenty of things that need to be fixed. Me too. Uh, but then again, I'm only a person. I only taught American 20th century U.S. history. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> right, exactly. I nearly failed out of it, so I, mean, I know less. Well, Dr. Jacobs, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, real quick, where can people get uh, can get the book, and where can people uh, contact you? Well, you can contact me on my uh, website, uh, uh, ufoabduction.com. No S, just singular, ufoabduction.com. Uh, and it has click-throughs uh, for the book for it to go to Amazon, or you can just go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or whatever. And, uh, and, and, it's, and it's there, you know. Um, uh, but um, if you, I have a questionnaire to fill out, and I look at some of the questionnaires, and, and I have a, you can ask me a question. The problem is I've had an avalanche of questions. I can't answer questions. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you so much for being on, Dr. Jacobs. Uh, stay on the line for us. We're going to close out this section, but we'll be right back, guys, on Conspiracy Normal. All right. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. That was a great interview with Dr. Jacobs. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And I've personally, I've met several people that I feel like are not humans and are trying to learn how to be humans. Like they just come off that way, you know? Yeah. That, that was one of the things, man, reading the book that I just, I thought about. And, And it's like, I'm just sitting there just myself thinking, oh, come on, man, no way, you know, no way. But you know what? Like I, I like I mentioned before, you know, I deliver and, <laughs> and, and I've delivered to I, I've people that have nothing in their apartment. Now I, I can buy a house. Okay. Like if somebody doesn't have anything in their house, it means they're paying way too much for their mortgage and they don't have any money, but like in an apartment and there's, there's nothing in it. It's like, that was the one thing in there that I was like, wait a minute, that's weird. And then what else about like when you go to the, st- I mean, just, I mean, you're probably going to get weird people at Walmart at three o'clock in the morning anyway. That but was that what just, resonated just, with me. That just, add, right. That resonated with me too. That just like, that adds to the creepiness factor to right. me. Somehow. It seems like I know some of the people that he was talking about. Right, right. Well, we've all had that crazy neighbor or someone we've worked with. It's like, how did you get to be 28 and not? know yeah. anything about life like yeah they, right or people talk to you in a very stilted manner or they mm-hmm. they act very they act very strange i mean maybe they're just gamers and they spend too much time playing video games or something but <laughs> but man i i just like is that that was one thing in the book that just just that was so familiar in its mundanity that just it it it, it kind of got me in a way, you know, if, if you can kind of understand what I'm saying, but Rob, a little more of your thoughts on that. Well, I, I brought it up a little bit there at the end and it's, it's hard for me to understand why, I mean, he, he touched on it a little bit, but why <coughs> um, such an advanced um, species that can travel interstellar distances that would come here and um, spend hundreds of years slowly integrating themselves to outbreed us and oh. take over instead of just like you know pulling out their phasers and zapping us and taking over unless they you know like they were just here to learn and that makes sense if they're like you know plug them all into interns make them all interns down on earth they're gonna bring back shit tons of data well w- one one thing that we have to, you have to kind of 
look at there is why you feel that way that they should just come in and just start blasting. A lot of that's probably because we are so used to that in popular culture since the 1950s of the whole concept of alien abduction, well, I mean, War of the Worlds, just, Independence Day, Battle LA, all these movies. We're such an you aggressive know? species to begin with, and that's right. probably why my mind goes there. But Right. It's, it's, it's like somehow that reflects something in, in ourselves. And it could be if there is another species out there, maybe they see it, maybe they see it as differently. You know, and I brought up the Neanderthal thing. You know, what if the, these these guys have done it before? And not necessarily either do they necessarily have to be from outer space or from another, another solar system. They're not saying where they're from. They could have always been here, and they've done this many, many times. Well, not to, like, bring up the ancient aliens thing, which is so popular right now, but yeah, that's that's kind of something that they talked about, too, is that we're already a hybrid of, you know, previous primitive species or whatever in aliens. Right. That's something that, that that's definitely in, in the zeitgeist for sure. It actually, his, his theory of inter- integration actually made the most sense to me rather than just coming in and hello, here we are. We mean you no harm because it's sort of the whole Captain Cook uh, thing, which if you don't know, Captain Cook landed on Hawaii trying to find a route, you know, across the, anyway, he lands on Hawaii at first, he's greeted like a God. And then he comes back two weeks later because of weather and he's killed. And so to me, it seems like this highly intelligent life force is like, well, we don't want to scare them, but we don't, we just want to integrate. And then eventually, you know, Hey, by the way, here we are. So it made sense to me that that's, the easiest way to integrate into us, but hey, it's. I'd like to get your thoughts on some of that. Hearing this material, someone that's probably not versed in a lot of this uh, lore, alien abduction, paranormal, whatever. You know, what did you think of some of that stuff that he said there? Well, initially, when you, I'm glad he touched on it. Initially, whenever I was reading his bio and sort of the synopsis of what the book was about. I'm glad that he started mentioning uh, men in black and sort of going through like, you know, I'm glad that he like cleared that up because initially it did sound like, you know, you're telling me the plot of men in black, but his, to to me, his made way more sense than men in black. And so I'm glad that he clarified that. I, I thought that was, that was really cool of him. And he, he, uh, he's, definitely well versed in this whole yeah. subject. And I think as an historian, I think that's where his that's where his mind goes to be versed in the subject, know what he's talking talking about, do the research. That's the other thing. Right. Uh you know, anybody that listens to this show, as I've said before many, many times, knows how I feel about the phenomenon. I, I see it more of a primarily a spiritual kind of um event that mm-hmm. it's more um internal uh, as opposed to external and that these beings are probably to me are not physical, but they're more spiritual in nature. You know, I think we will we'll go in more into that. I think later uh, when do we go on to like leisure hour, but to talk about it, but <laughs> you know, that's kind of like basic for me. Uh, you know, 
Dr. Jacobs, you know, being into story and being someone that is academically oriented, and I think someone that is also um, sees the world in a materialist viewpoint, um, these are the conclusions that, that he is, that he has come to. Mm. Um, so I, you know, in a sense, I don't necessarily agree with the conclusions, but I, I still find it interesting that he's, that he's come to those conclusions. And it's like, there's, 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 I can't discount it though. And the reason that I can't discount Dr. Jacobs conclusions is, as he said, he's not coming over and saying, Oh, the aliens want to improve us. They want to, they want to help mankind and they're going to, they're going to take us on their spaceships and everything's going to be good. It's going to be utopia. The aliens and man mm. are going to live together. Now he's saying, look, if this is really happening, we're done as a species. Right. That's what he's saying. He's looking at it as a malevolent thing, almost like the old twilight zone episode where they found out that, uh, how to serve man was, was a cookbook, you know? <laughs> well, that's why I asked him that question at the end. I thought maybe he was going to elaborate on that, but he, yeah. you know, he was, he's, he's basically trying to be factual about it, it seems. And so that's, I respect that more than, right. You know, he's taking it where the research he's taken his conclusions where the research has taken him. Right. Yeah. I, rather than, you know, the aliens told me that you should all give me a million bucks. It's like, he's not doing that. He is basically being a news reporter. And that's, that's yeah. way more respectable yeah. than, than the latter. A, a lot of these guys that, that, that we've had on, um, you know, we talked to Peter Robbins about the Reynolds from forest case. That was a few, uh, few shows ago now. Uh, you know, some of these guys, they they don't make a lot of money at this. They don't ask for a lot of money. They put out these books sometimes at a loss. And those are the guys that you can tell, you know, that they're really serious about this stuff. They're not they're not Charles charlatans. You know, they believe they spend all the time going around promoting knowledge and information, you know, and, and they're sacrificing their home lives and their family lives and everything to, right. to kind of put the stuff out there. Well, that, that's what fascinated me the most about Dr. Jacobs was the fact that it's like how, and I wanted to ask him if he had, how close he had ever gotten to um, an alien life form or, uh, you know, what, what the most compelling evidence he's ever gotten. But this, it seems to me that like, it's to me, I'm a bowler and uh, it's like going all this time without breaking 200. <laughs> Because he, it see, it seems like he's, he, I don't, I don't know. It's like without being an actual, he, he's, he's so interested in this subject, yet he's never been abducted, and right. so that, right. that's, that's um, you know, pretty no cool. real empirical evidence other than a lot of um, testimony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, a you, lot of testimony and a lot of things that match up. He says that. You know, one of the things I like about Dr. Jacobs is when he hears something once, he files it away mm -hmm. and he won't report on it or make any suggestions. He doesn't make any suggestions at all, but he won't make any suggestions to any of the other subjects that something like that, what he just heard happen. If he gets an independent cooperation, then he sees the and starts seeing a pattern. That's what he goes by. 
So, you know, I, I, I like that and, and I respect that about him. Uh, I think we're about ready to call it a night, guys. Uh, Jeff, thank you for being here. Hey, my pleasure. In. I'm going to try to sleep after all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you don't get taken up tonight. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to have nightmares about a giant praying mantis. <laughs> Maybe don't go into Walmart tonight. Or yeah. <laughs> start seeing them everywhere. I will take that advice. <laughs> no problem. Here. Next week, guys, uh, we're going to be here yet again. Uh, next week, we're going to kind of have like a sort of Halloween kind of themed episode. We're going to talk to Steve Stockton, and he's written a series of books, uh, two books called Strange Strange Things in the Woods. And uh, mm. I just finished the first book. Of course, they're really, really short. Uh, we're going to talk about some like really strange stories from a lot from our area here in Tennessee. So it's going to be really interesting. So nice. Steve is from Tennessee, but he lives now, I think, in Oregon. So, uh, guys, thanks for listening. And we will be back next week on Conspiranormal. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.